Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We're talking about the rules of davening the Amidah in particular, okay? Because tefillah means the Amidah. So we're in chapter 91. Hayta talit chagura al motnav, if someone had a cloak girded on your loins to cover you from your thighs or hips down, you meaning if you're only wearing, again, these people were, were that you might be davening at home or you might be poor, right? So if you had a garment only covering your bottom half, um, you may not daven until you also cover your chest, okay? However, if you don't have such a garment, all you own is a loincloth, Okay, um, as long as you had covered your nakedness, which means your genitals, you may go ahead and daven. This does not apply to us today in general, but I thought, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to see. Um, and paragraph two, I believe this is why Hasidim, um, among others, wear a girdle, a belt. It's to separate the spiritual part of your body from the physical part of your body, the top half from the bottom half. You have to wear, uh, it says your loincloth. That's really not what it is. Um, uh, I'm sorry. So you have to wear loincloth. You got to wear bottoms, even if you have a belt, right? You have to have your top half, not seeing your bottom half. Okay. But um, there are exceptions to this. So again, we're not going to dwell on that. This is interesting. Can I Eric? add one thing to that? Yes, briefly, please. It just so happens that I remember from my my son's book. Yes, that the one that I gave you. Yes, he uh-huh. says that that if you are wearing a belt, that is sufficient. Correct. And even right. if you don't have a belt, if your underwear has a tight enough elastic, that's sufficient. Baruch Hashem, yom yom. We in the Western <laughs> world, in general, are for most of us. Our underwear has an elastic. Once it has an, once the elastic goes, you say, that's it. I'm going to throw it out, get a new pair of underwear. Thank you. Thank okay. You. I'm you, sorry. Michael. I just have to say this. If you have reflux, yeah. you have different issues. Oh, you have reflux. You wear different things. Okay. I'm, I'm going to you move don't, on. You don't wear tight, you don't wear tight stuff. I got it. No, no, um, no elastic. Okay. All right. Paragraph three. Yesh Omrim. There are those who say that you do not say God's name with an uncovered head. And there are those who say that we should object to that and say that no one should enter the synagogue with a head covering. So what is interesting about this is that we, in our own time, take it like 100% for granted, certainly for men who are davening in non-reform circles, that of course you have your head covered when you are davening. So it's interesting that even in the Shulchan Aruch's time, it's still only a yeshomrim. There are those who say, which means there were people who davened with their head uncovered. If you actually look at the earlier medieval halachic sources, I know this because I wrote a paper on it once in rabbinical school. There's a whole evolution about keeping head covered or not. In the Talmud, keeping your head covered at all times out of reverence for God is seen as 
a mark of extreme, uh, of extra piety, meaning not everyone did it. And um, there are medieval sources that say, I remember one of them that says, I went to visit France from, I think, the 12th century, 11th to 12th century of our era. And I saw that the rabbis there get up for an aliyah at the Torah with their head uncovered, says the halachic authority, meaning where he does it, people do cover their heads. He is surprised to see that there are people who don't cover their heads. So this idea that your head is covered when you daven, um, certainly for men, as something totally universal, this is actually a later development and did not start out so universal. So I'm just bringing this here because it's very interesting, right? To say that um, apparently not everyone did this. It was not accepted as a universal thing. The Shulchan Aruch says, some people say you have to wear something on your head when you say Hashem's name. Can I ask a question? Uh-huh, yep. In, in between um, covering your hair, your head when you're davening and covering it all the time. And I guess related to the concept of covering your head when you say God's name, um, where in practice, because the other thing I've heard is that um, one should cover one's head when eating and when studying Torah. So when does that kind of fall into the continuum? Right. So it's, it's clear here that there's a position that there are people who might not cover their head all the time. Okay but you got to cover it when you say Hashem's name, right? You, right. We, we just read that. So um, a, a lot of this then has to do with, I'm going to call it socio-cultural style. So probably in Eastern Europe, men cover in, in later Tevye's time, men probably covered their hair with so, their head with something all the time. Once people came to the Western world and it became the fashion that, when you come indoors, men take their hat off and that it's a marker of respect. You know, you take your hat off in front of a lady, et cetera, et cetera. Men would wear fedoras. They would come home. They would come to work. They would take their hat off. So the social convention became men wore hat outdoors. Civilized men wore hats outdoors. They didn't wear hats indoors. Okay. And and by the way, and I don't know, did this start in, in, in Germany in the 19th century? I don't really know because I don't know about the sociology of male head coverings in Germany in the 19th century, but I know a little bit about it in America in the middle of the 20th century. Um, Jewish men who wanted to assimilate culturally tended, then there was pressure for them to not wear head coverings, okay, And then there is a, this is the answer to your question, Joanna. There is a conservative teshuva or rabbinic responsum. I can't tell you if it's from the 50s or the 60s. I don't remember. I have read it, which says that it's acceptable for men based on this. I I think it says it based on this and looking at other sources, that it is acceptable for men to have their heads uncovered, except when they say God's name. And that means when they pray, when they're studying Torah, or when they, what would be the third one? Eating. Eat. And that's because the assumption is when you eat, you're going to say Hashem's name because you say blessings before and after. So it's not dafka that when you eat, you should cover your head. But when you um, say God's name, you should cover your head. And we want people to say Hamotzi and Birkat Hamazon, right? So there is a conservative shuva that says when you're davening, 
when you're reading Torah, holy books, and when you are eating, these are the times when uh, you are motzi hazkara mipiv, you are, and mention is a technical term meaning saying Hashem's name, right? Adoshem. Those are the times when you cover your head, even if your practice is to not cover your head uh, the rest of the time. By the way, those of us who are old enough to remember know that we grew up and you, you know, when you were, when we were younger, when I was in my twenties, you know, I walked around in Manhattan, you'd see a few people with kippahs, you know, and then all of a sudden in my, uh, was it in my forties? I don't know. Right. All of a sudden, there are tons of people walking around with kippot. Are there that many more Orthodox Jews in New York now compared with 40 years ago um, walking around Wall Street? Probably not. Maybe a high, slightly higher percentage. Not that many. But the acceptable fashion, it was acceptable even for um, Orthodox men to walk around in public with their hat uncovered with their head uncovered or certainly be at work with their head uncovered when that was the American style. Pardon me, Devorah Shira, my wife, did your father cover his hair in the street, cover his head in the street? Did he cover his head when he went to work? Did he always put a keep on when he came home or no? Right. So Debbie grew up modern Orthodox in Washington, DC. And I'm guessing her family was typical ish. Her father did not wear a hat in the street. Didn't accept, I suppose when it was cold, did not wear a hat and work came in at home and put a kippah on, right? Right. So this was part of um, uh, think Yiddish, dress British, right? You kind of dress <laughs> the way the people do to not stand out. This was the Jewish Amer- ethos in America in the 30s, 40s, 50s, into 60s. You dress to fit in, okay, in your private life when you are doing your private uh, ritual things. So maybe Orthodox men put a kippah on when they walked into the house and uh, conservative men probably of a certain generation didn't anymore. And that's why there's a conservative tshuva saying, because they, they knew that reform Jews said you could go uh, to shul head uncovered. It was optional like other ritual mitzvot, right? So there was a need for a conservative tshuva to say, no, dafka, if you are reading Torah, praying, or eating, then you must cover their head. And it's based on this limitation. By the way, the Shulchan Aruch didn't make these things up. The Shulchan Aruch is summarizing lots of halachic procedures from the several centuries beforehand. So again, I just want to say, I'll get to you in a second, Terry. The Shulchan Aruch written by Yosef Karo is an abbreviated digest of his massive commentary called the Beit Yosef in the Beit Yosef, which is a commentary on the tour, a law code from 300 years earlier, Rav Yosef Karo gives you all the, from the Talmud on all the halachic authorities, right? So he traces the law through everything, but the Shulchan Aruch is that he wrote that as the digest. It just says, do this. Okay. So here he's saying it, he's, he's, he's pulling his punch. He's not saying do this. He says, some people say that, when you say God's name, you need to have your head covered, uh, which means when you're davening. And therefore, there are those who say you need to object to people who come to shul with their head uncovered. Everyone in shul has to have their head covered. Again, this is for men. Um, now, 
I have retired from the business of, um, I think I'm egalitarian, therefore I should tell women what to do. I used to assume, well, if we're egalitarian, then women should wear head coverings and talises and, and tefillin. And enough people said to me, well, don't tell women what to do. And so I'm retired from that business. So how this halacha <laughs> should apply to women who consider themselves halachic, um, uh, but egalitarian, um, I, uh, I'm not going to be a posek or a, a halachic decisor for anyone on that. So I just want to put that out there. Terry Link. Avi, I'm having a, a little bit of a hard time understanding okay. yes. paragraph three when I compare it, for instance, to paragraph five in this way. You, you mentioned earlier that the, um, I, I believe I understood you to say that the, um, the conservative responsa um, or chuva was based on paragraph three. But if sorry. I look at sorry. it. It's based on the whole, sorry. Paragraph three is an abridgment of hundreds of years of halacha. Right. Understood. Okay. So what I, I don't, what I don't it's understand. Not, it's not based just on that paragraph. It's based on okay. hundreds of years of halacha, of which paragraph three is a crystallization in the Shulchan Aruch. Okay. I, I, I understand that. Yeah. But when I, when I read paragraph three, yeah. there is the Yesh Omrim, which yeah. leaves the, the, the option yeah. as opposed to low. Yeah. In paragraph five. Okay. Maybe I Why will. Why didn't it I, say low? So, ter- so Terry, if you send me an email, Abraham Avivi at Gmail, anyone who wants to can do that. I will find you the link to the conservative chuva and I will send you the conservative chuva. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Which no doubt, which I have not reviewed any time, which I have not read any time in the last 20 to 30 years and which no doubt will contain more information that is escaping my memory at the moment. Okay. 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 What if you're a workman, you know, Avi, you're a question. Yes. Go ahead. So there's a question who, sorry, who's asking the question. I can't see you. Larry, Larry, go ahead. So so the, the brief question is similar to Terry's. I know you're going to send the chuva, but can, can you just identify what is the original source from say Tanakh somewhere? It's not, it's it's not in Tanakh at all. As far as I know, it's in the Talmud and I'm sure this will be in the tshuva and the Talmud. Uh, again, I'm sorry, I haven't reviewed this in preparation for this class or, or any time in the last 20 years. But Rabbi so-and-so said, Ma, I, I, you know, Rabbi so-and-so was so pious, he would not even walk for a moat six feet in any direction without having his head covered out of reverence for heaven. The traditional reason that's given of why do people wear a kippah, it's out of respect for heaven. There's a barrier between you and God. Okay, so that, that, brief- that goes to a saying, not a halacha, but a saying in the Talmud about someone's deep piety. This I is my recollection. You're asking me without prep. This is my recollection of it. Go ahead. Just two brief comments based upon your, your questioning of, of your wife about wearing hats um, um, in the 50s or wear, head coverings in the 50s or 60s. One is, my father was not a kippah wearer, but he wore hats. And I once asked him why he wore his hat. And his answer to me surprisingly was, Jewish men always wear hats outside. And uh-huh. I always suspected that that had to do with 
even though he wasn't uh, religiously observant, that sort of thing. Yeah. And secondly, as you probably, as I'm sure you know. If I, if, wait, can you pause? Where- wait, wait, can you pause before you get to the second thing? So this has to do with the sociology and religiosity of what happens when Tevye's offspring come to America and they want to fit in. And also in an era where men are wearing hats, right? The, you know, that's not so fashionable nowadays. Uh, by the way, I get a kick out of it. You can always recognize Orthodox, you can always recognize modern Orthodox men out in public. How do you recognize them? What are they wearing? Hat. Now, what kind of hat today? What, oh, is, what is fashionable? Cap. Baseball cap, right? Because they, it, they, then they feel like they fit in sociologically. I'm not talking about Wall Street men who are dressed in a suit and an expensive overcoat. I'm just saying, you know, walking around on the street on a casual Sunday, very often it's the, ba- it's the baseball cap, right? That is the identifier. It's I, I'm fulfilling it by having my head covered, but I'm doing it in a way that is uh, social, doesn't make me stand out as weird in, or, uh, sorry, as different in the general public. Okay, I pass. I pass as Amer- I pass for American. Go on, Larry. And that's very much relate- linked to my last comment, which yep. is, as you know, in in Israel, what you wear on your head defines you. Yes. Sociologically, what politically, kind of key- what ideologically. Kind of yes. Uh, right. And right. I have to admit, I took off my kippah sruga which when means, it was so which, presumed that which I was means a knitted. Sorry, which means knitted kippah. Right, because yeah. the presumption of everybody was I was a right-wing nationalist religious Jew, yeah. which I was, was and am not. Yeah. But that, that is absolutely the presumption by everybody who sees you with a kippah regard, at least in Israel. Right. I think the record should reflect that Marshall has been sitting here donning and doffing his baseball cap during this discussion. Thank you. Uh, Avi, can Barry, I ask yeah, one more question ahead. about the Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it was, was the reform decision about hats based on paragraph three? Do we know that? No, the reform, uh, sorry, the ref, no, I, I, I haven't read it or reviewed it, nor am I a reform rabbi or historian, but I believe the reform thing about hats, reform <laughs> arose in Germany in the middle of the, you know, 1830s, 40s. 50s growth of reform um and there were there were attempts to as much as possible fit in appearance wise with the dominant culture and when you walk into church out of respect you take your hat off when you come in before god you take your hat off that is considered respectful okay so i i i assume it has to do with the sociology the sociology of it, whether or not they actually looked at the history of the halakha to say, look, this thing about head covering wasn't always 100% required in Judaism. That I don't know the answer to. Did they did they say, we don't care about the halakha? Or do they say, look, this has only become a Jewish fashion in prayer in the last several centuries, but it wasn't always that way. I don't know the answer to that. Okay. No. Okay. Um, Okay, who knew that we would get into such interesting things about head covering? Oh, I guess I have to jump in. Yep. Can't raise my hand. Yep, I know, because I can't um, see you. I just thought it, 
It's okay. Um, I was just, you know, while we were having this conversation, I was very curious about, you know, some of the relationships between Christianity and Judaism as it relates to this. Because when I was taught as a kid, was that we wore a kippah because it was to remind us that God was above us yes. and that the Christians purposely didn't wear head coverings to be different than the Jews. But that doesn't seem to be correct. I, I, yeah, I don't know anything yeah. about the Christian just, history. But, of but they, yeah. I was just, I'm reading a different source entirely, which suggests yeah. that the cultural tradition of Christians not wearing a head covering has its source in Corinthians, where it says a man ought not to cover his head since he is in the image and glory of God. Right. So I would argue that it was that the sociological norm of taking off a head, being you're happy and respectful, it has its roots in Christianity. Okay, which come, which, which I would still say comes from where? So my guess would be, remember that the Jesus movement was originally a movement within Judaism, and then Paul essentially, uh, I was going to say creates, but let's say facilitates the creation of a religion for the Gentiles. So what I would want to look at is um, how did Roman men dress in the year 70 and 110 of the common era, right? So I, again, I'm not a historian of this. I don't know anything. Um, I would want to know, like, how did Romans dress and how did, did, did they dress when they went to their temples and what was their marker of respect? Um, so I, I, I'm assuming that even Christian, Christianity doesn't necessarily, Corinthians doesn't necessarily invent that out of nothing, right? So, Sarich uh, Iyun, one could look into that further. Anyone who wants to research that, you know, gets a gold star about like, why did early Christians say, take your, head off, your hat off as a marker of respect for God? Because um, I doubt that, uh, who, I don't know who wrote Corinthians. Is it Paul? Is it Paul's epistle to the Corinthians? I doubt that Paul just invented that out of nowhere. I'm, I'm not a scholar of early Christianity, so I don't know. Okay, let's go on. Um, so, well, like, what about your baseball cap? What about you're a laborer and you just, in the fields, and you just wear your straw hat out to work because it protects you from the sun, meaning it's not a head covering that has any particular intrinsic religiosity to it. So, paragraph four, you are woven straw hat, which I guess was the workman's hat, counts as a head covering, meaning you do not need some separate religious head covering to fulfill the mitzvah of head covering. Um, notice, by the way, in terms of what is considered sacred garb, you know, you kiss your tzitzit, you kiss your tefillin. If your tefillin fell on the floor, you would kiss it, Okay. It has God's name in it. Your tzitzit doesn't have God's name in it, but it's considered kind of a special garment. Whereas if your kippah falls off, you just put it back on. You don't kiss it, right? There's no intrinsic holiness to it. It's, I'm going to put it in quotes, just a head covering, which means even your straw hat, your kova tembel, your baseball cap is good enough your, your fedora is good enough as a head covering. Aval, this is what we always teach them in Camp Ramah. Hanacha, because the boys always forget to wear their kippah coming into lunch from the sports field. Aval hanachat yad al harosh lo chashiva kisui. Okay, you put your hand on your head, that does not count. Um, right, and the, the Camp Ramah way is like you take one of the 
paper napkins and you twist the two ends of it and you put it on your head like a sort of paper gravy boat upside down. And that counts as your head covering, but not your hand on your head. By the way, there are other halachic sources that say putting your hand on your head is better than nothing. Meaning I don't have anything. Um, I'm, I walked by an outdoor minion. I don't know. I'm not wearing a head covering. I hear them saying Kedusha. I want to stand or, or Kaddish. I want to stand with my paws and I want to answer Yeheshme Rabbah or answer Kedusha. What should you do? The answer is putting your hand on your head is better than nothing. But if you're ab initio, your hand on your head does not count as a head covering. Okay. I had teachers I when I was uh, hold studying. On, hold on one second, John. I love this. If another person plays the hand on one head, can consider covering. So I suppose if there were two of you who did not have head coverings, you could stand side by side and cover each other's head, and that would count okay if there were no particular thing to do. Okay, Joanna, on, go ahead. Yeah. I had teachers when I was studying at JTS, I don't know if you heard these same stories also, that um, who would say that Professor Saul Lieberman would take Kipot and use them as erasers, Dafka to make the point that they were uh, not. I never, heard, I never heard that, but I love that. Right. It's a functional way to cover your head out of reverence. It's not a holy mitzvah object the way a talis or a tefillin or a sefer is. Okay. Um, because davening before the king, you are, uh, you, you do it respect. You're, it's, you're supposed to be respectful. You dress the way people do respectfully in that culture. There's always the issue of, can you wear shorts or not, right? Which I don't want to get into too much. This would seem to suggest uh, if it's in a place where people do not stand in front of important people without legs covered, then you wear long pants and not shorts. This is a long, complicated issue. So um, th this is the Shulchan Aruch's piece of it. By the way, there's something here. I don't think we're going to get up to it. Um, it's all we, it's also about shoes and the Rambam makes this clear. The Rambam says, cause there's arguments about if you need to wear shoes or not when you daven and the Rambam says, if you live, I think it's Rambam. If you live in a culture, I don't think it's Rambam. I don't remember because Rambam says you take your shoes off. Right. So I, I, again, I'm sorry, I haven't reviewed this recently prior to class, but the halacha is if you live in a culture where it is considered reverence when you stand before important people. Uh, Vered, could you mute, please, if, unless you're jumping in. If you live in a culture where it's considered respectful that you take your shoes off, that would be a Muslim culture, right? They go into the mosque, they take their shoes off. That's what's considered respect. If that's your culture, then you take your shoes off when you daven, or you may daven in bare feet. If you live in a culture where it is considered respectful to have shoes on when you go meet the king, if you were a peasant, you wouldn't go in front of the king barefoot. You would put something on your feet when you went into the royal court so that you wouldn't track mud into the royal court. Then it is, then you wear shoes when you daven. Okay. So there is stuff in the halakha about shoes, no shoes. This became an issue in sort of the hippie era, right? And and onwards, I still see this when I go to, um, um, what do you call it? Renewal <clears throat> congregations like Romamu and Ikar about people who like take their shoes off when they're davening um, because this is sort of their ethos of, you know, quasi meditation, 
right? You do yoga, you would take your shoes off. You would meditate, you would take your shoes off, right? And davening is seen like a higher form of meditation, so you would take your shoes off. Uh, so uh, you could make you could make an argument. One could make an argument about that pro and con. I will not choose to make an argument. I just want to tell you that it's the thing about shoes is based on what is the marker of respect in that culture when you are coming and standing. Bef- I'm going to put it in quotes before a king. Vered. I'm sorry. I wanted. <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. I wanted to comment something about uh, Hebrew bateraglaim. Yes. Which means houses for the legs, yes. which are shoes. Yes. And still in the Ben Yehuda Milon, yes. in the dictionary, it still has batei raglaim. Yeah. And it has also batei yadaim for gloves. For gloves. I love that. I love okay? that. And, and then only later, uh, in the beginning of the 20th century, it was changed. But if you look at his Milon, Ben Yehuda, yeah. You know, then batera glaim and batera dime. So that's that. what I want for to shoes call. and uh, shoes and gloves. Thank you. And by the way, the biblical word um, is not naalaim. The biblical word is min alim. So it's interesting why Ben Yehuda didn't choose that. I'm guessing because min alim, which comes from naal to lock, probably had the connotation of sandals. That would be my guess. Right. So when he wanted to have a word that was not sandals, but shoes, because otherwise I, I, one would think like, why didn't he just use mean alim? It's in the Bible. And I'm guessing that's because mean alim was understood to mean sandals, which, of course, was the kind of shoes that people wore in the ancient world. They didn't wear shoes that covered their whole foot, as far as I know. OK, we're going to close with this last one, just to say we finished Simon 92, which means, OK, you want to be really educated and righteous. Fully clothed. Okay. Um, uh, meaning people were peasants. They didn't necessarily own all of the proper garments that we would consider today. So um, the Shulchan Aruch in paragraph six is essentially saying what we do today, which is, you dress up as fully as possible and respectfully when you daven. Um, I love this. Uh, um, th- this last one that be'et shalom, meaning you are a person not in wartime. You live at leisure. You have a roof over your head. Okay. Yesh palel. You wear nice clothes to shul. Okay. You dress for shul nicer than you would out in the street, all right? And and this is, you know, the basis of kind of the, the ethos. I, I remember there's some scene in um, in um, Mrs. Maisel, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, where they're having an argument in shul about the fur coat, where the fur coat came from. You wear your fur coat to shul. That was the ethos in the Northeastern United States in several decades. Okay. Why is that? You dress in your finest clothes to shul. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am, Los Angeles, Go to TBA. 
LA.org.